And so basically I, I joined this program in the first three months of learning how to do off-market real estate um, from direct mail, you know, building your brand, building a website, what other channels, there's SMS, there's cold calling, paper lead, pay-per-click, all this kind of stuff that we can go into. Um, I've been about $30,000 in marketing and hadn't done one deal over three months. Um, and so I was like, what the hell did I just get myself into? Is I left this, you know, cushy W2 job. Um, I'm sure my colleagues thought I was crazy. And then um, landed my first deal. Welcome back, real estate rock stars at it again. Okay, I'm Shelby Johnson, and today I'm here with Dylan Cook out of Cincinnati, Ohio. He's been an agent since October of 2021 and has closed 100 plus, 35 of which were in the past year. Um, and he does it as a solo agent. And I say that in like quotes, air quotes, you can see me. Um, because he's got a bookkeeper, he's got a virtual assistant behind the scenes, and he just brought on a full-time salesperson with, with his niche, which is off-market deals. So listeners, this is a really good one for you if you have investors hitting you up and are like, I'd love to work with you, but I really want off-market deals. And you're considering taking that venture on because there's a lot more to it than it meets the eye. And I'm excited to dig into that today with you, Dylan. Welcome. Yeah, Shelby, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Hell yeah. Okay, Dylan, how did you get into real estate? Uh, yeah, so long story short is I actually, um, it was very much a rich dad, poor dad, like kind of upbringing, go to school, get good grades, kind of ingrained in me. So I did that. Um, I went to school for six years, got my doctor of pharmacy degree as a pharmacist um, from 2017 up through 2021. Um, and as I was doing that, really the thought process was, I'm going to make decent money. I should know what to do with it. So I kind of just went down this personal finance rabbit hole, went every way from uh, a Dave Ramsey disciple is what I called it to um, Robert Kiyosaki and this never ending rabbit hole. So eventually um, to shorten that up, I bought my first house hack in June of 2018 here in the Cincinnati market, um, continued to do pharmacy for um, what is that, I guess three more years. And then I went full-time real estate October of 2021. Okay, and be between when you bought that first house hack in 2018 until when you left your job, was there zero real estate in between or what was kind of the buildup? So I actually had a, a friend of mine from uh, pharmacy school that was uh, very like-minded, very much in the same page of like wanting to build wealth and all this kind of stuff. Um, it wasn't even like the retire early, we just wanted a lot of money. Um, and we together built a portfolio of around 13 or so units um, over the next like two years. And that was the Burr strategy doing um, on market, off market, kind of a, a mix of both. And we actually, and that partnership actually ended up separating. So I went back down to zero units, you know, a couple of years later. And then since um, I went full time in October 21, we've added uh, 29 more units to the personal portfolio. And then plus all the transactional stuff that I'm sure we'll get into. Okay, gotcha. So you, after you had that experience in between, you decided to go full-time and I know you are an agent, you have your license, but I believe your focus more is that off-market type of investor first. Can you talk about like your business as it stands? Yeah. And that kind of started because back when I first started investing in 2018, I go on the local MLS, browsing Zillow, Realtor.com, all this kind of stuff. And you can still find deals that penciled on the MLS. And then as we kind of got into 19, 2019, 2020, you know, real estate was getting really hot. Interest rates were continuing to drop on, you know, I'm sure you remember around that time frame. And a lot of the deals on the MLS weren't 
making sense to me as an investor. Um, and so I, like I've done other things before, I joined a couple off-market uh, mentorships um, that you know I had to pay money to be in to learn kind of the ropes. And my philosophy is that you can learn anything from YouTube University, but if you can do it in a year and change that into three months, then that, that price of uh, tuition is worth it to me. Um, and so basically, I, I joined this program in the first three months of learning how to do off-market real estate um, from direct mail, you know, building your brand, building a website, what other channels, there's SMS, there's cold calling, paper lead, pay-per-click, all this kind of stuff that we can go into. Um, I've been about $30,000 in marketing and hadn't done one deal over three months. Um, and so I was like, what the hell did I just get myself into? Is I left this, you know, cushy W2 job. Um, I'm sure my colleagues thought I was crazy. And then um, landed my first deal. Um, after that, it was like a $5,500 uh, fee. So I was still very much underwater and all this. Um, but luckily, didn't give up. And, uh, you know, we since, you know, I've already talked about it, it's been very successful since. But if you want to give an overview of what our business looks like now, um, as you mentioned, it's me, which kind of runs like the day-to-day. Um, we have a full-time bookkeeper, a VA that's more like a lead manager slash cold caller. Um, and I just hired a salesperson that's going to take off some of the responsibilities off of myself. But we, what we do is direct outreach, right? So we do a lot of direct mail. Uh, we have SS, SMS campaigns. We do cold calling. And these are usually, um, you know, pick pick your random motivation that you probably heard other people talk about. Uh, high equity absentee landlords is a big one. Uh, foreclosures, bankruptcies, liens, tax delinquencies, divorces, inherited pro- inherited properties. But I'm rambling a little bit, so I'll ask you the next question to get a little more granular. But that's it in a gist. Okay, so let's say hypothetically, you know, you're, there's someone out there who hits up an agent and they say, I want off-market deals. Can we just go down a little bit into the rabbit hole of realistically what it takes in regard to how much outreach you're doing, how much you're spending, and the results that you receive in exchange? Yeah, no good questions. And so in my experience, you know, a, a, an agent, especially if they are, quote unquote, an investor-friendly agent, they might have stuff come up, you know, here and there from their network or upper other opportunities or flippers. And that might come up periodically, like really this like a needle in a haystack. Um, but as far as what, what we've learned is, you know, our fixed cost per month between all the softwares that we use the, for the list stacking, the um, CRM, the cold calling platforms, all this kind of stuff, our, our fixed costs are around $4,000 a month. And that doesn't even account for some of the direct mail, which usually ranges from three to $5,000 a month for us. Right. So we're already looking at seven to sometimes $10,000 a month in overhead just to get some of these leads to come in. And the best data I really have right now um, is with direct mail. So let's say we send out uh, $3,000, which is about, they're about 70 cents a, a postcard. So you can do the, the math on that. Um, we would hope to generate around 50 leads. Um, and out of those 50 leads, we're hoping to really convert one to two of those leads that come in. So really our, our cost per deal for direct mail right now is around $3,000 in ad spend. That's to get one deal for direct mail. So that alone just blew a bunch of people's minds for sure. Like $3,000 per deal to most agents who in the agent world, I do feel like marketing spending for marketing, budgeting for marketing is not so much of a thing. Like I hear agents proudly say all the time, like I've never paid for a lead, which was me 
for years. And, mm-hmm. and honestly, like I personally within my agent business still haven't, but now my mindset having done, you know, work with CCF a little bit and, mm-hmm. you know, talking to more people within that off market industry, it's like the amount that is spent on marketing is insane. If you do want to see real results. Yeah. And it's doing it consistently where I, th- I see a lot of early investors fails like, Oh, I sent out a direct mail campaign, but if you only do this one time, you know, you might get lucky. You might get a deal the first batch, but you know, really you need to do this consistently as the leads come in. So it's not like this, your business isn't going up and down as far as your lead flow. You need to con- con- continually start to market. And on that point, I guess a, a data set would be as when a lead comes in, you know, it's speed to leads very important in this business. It, our average time from first contact to contract is around two months. And then usually a contract to close is around three. So you're, but you're still having to continually follow up. It's never, Oh, I got your postcard. I want to sell my house. Please come take it from me. It's developing the rapport, meeting them where they're at, figuring out what their pain points are. And this using the real estate as the vehicle to solve whatever problem that they're going through. Okay. And hypothetically, if you know, they're listening, they're like, I still want to do direct to seller marketing. I do want to commit to the three to $5,000 a month in direct mm-hmm. mail. And let's just, let's just go down the direct mail route instead. Okay. Cause I know there's like, we could go PPC or Facebook ads or all yeah. these different other things, but let's stick to direct mail. So from, you said from first contact until contract is two months, but you also mentioned that in the beginning, it took you three months to ever of putting out, you know, marketing yep. before you ever received even that $5,500 fee. So yep. realistically, if someone is starting out, what is the time frame expectation as well as like the financial contribution if they want to see or be a part of this world, really? Yeah. So for me personally, it, um, it was three months and around around $30,000 into it. But you got to realize as you're you're spending that 30 grand that I was spending, you know, you're continually to build that pipeline. So that 30 grand turned into deals, but it was probably six, eight, 12 months later, right? So you got to think about it that way. But I've, I've been in a multiple groups that only do off-market real estate. I'd say the average is you need to commit three to six months on, as a minimum um, and probably anywhere from 30 to $40,000 out of pocket. And, uh, you know, you're, if you don't do a deal by then, then you have to look at something else. Are your leads actually coming in? If your leads are coming in, then you just have a conversion process. Or are these not coming in at all and we need to figure out a different kind of marketing? And since you've done different types of marketing, because now if I'm listening to this, I'm like, man, why would I even do this? Why would I even do this type of marketing? If you were to do it all over again, would you do the direct mail route still? And if yes, then why? If you're sitting in a position where you are liquid enough to make that commitment, then I would 100% still recommend it. Um, if that's not going to financially strain you as an investor, as a person, then I would say, yes, definitely do it because, you know, we can do some deal deep dives. We got some great deals from this because these aren't deals that are actually hitting the MLS. Um, now, if you are a beginning investor, you're on limited funds, there are methods to go that are a little bit cheaper for a cost per deal or a cost per lead basis. And two or three months ago, I would have told you SMS and cold calling are like probably the number one and two with the caveat um, this 10 DLC regulation that is now getting kind of hammered down um, is making that a little bit more difficult. So I would just, I would still recommend that, but with a grain of salt is you're going to have to have a website. You're going to have to be certified in actual business. You can't just be Joe Smo trying to send out mass text messaging. Um, 
and or Dorna. I mean, the the driving for dollars or stuff too until you get your first lead and building up capital. But to us and a lot of people in this business, I would still say direct mail has the best uh, return on investment and like return on ad spend for anybody. Okay, and you um, you mentioned before that you joined a mastermind to do this. So if there's someone out there who is specifically wanting to do direct mail and doesn't want to learn on their own on an island, you know, feeling very like, am I even doing this right? Um, what would you recommend? Like, this sounds kind of weird. Would you recommend going the route you would with, like, I don't want to throw them out there because that'd be weird if you're like, no, don't do them. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I mean, shameless plug. I don't have any uh, bad things. So I, I was, I started in CCF, which is Ryan Dossie's program. Um, and now I'm in a different one with Mike Dahan and Dan Austin called the Instant Investor or Collecting Keys. I'm not really sure which one they go by. Um, I would recommend both of them, honestly. Like, and I, I'm a always a fan of education first, um, and being able to shorten that learning curve. Like, both of them actually have a lot of free content out there. You can type in on YouTube, figure out what list they're pulling, the cadence that they're mailing them, all this kind of stuff. So, if you are more, um, like, time is your capital. Like, you are willing to put more time to this and actually do it, and you're, you know, you're just getting started. Then do that first. It's going to be very niche to the where you're at in your investing journey with what, but where I wanted to go was I wanted to go very fast, very quickly because I was giving up this W2 job and this income. So I wanted to get revenue as fast as possible, uh, which was, which in my opinion was the best way to do that. And I would absolutely do it again. I want to talk about cold lead follow-up because I've already mentioned before that most real estate agents have the stigma against paying, you know, for marketing, but also I feel like there is a, um, warm, it's a warm lead industry, or at least they want it to be. They mm -hmm. don't want to have to, you know, speed to lead and follow up and stay on it. They're, you know, no. like, oh, I called and they didn't answer. Oh, well. So I would really love to talk about your process for interacting with the cold lead and your follow-up cadence from that point forward. Sure. Um, so as a, when a lead comes in, whether that be from a cold call or a direct mail piece, we're really looking for like five main questions. Um, that is, um, why are they interested in selling? What is the, um, what is their timeline? What is the condition of the property? Why not use an agent? And then, um, price point, obviously. And so, and those are no specific order, but if you can get those five things. You can really figure out, um, what to do. And let's say someone calls in for some reason, we missed the call or whatever, and we need to get them back on the phone. Um, our cadence is basically one phone call and one text message per day for the first 10 days. And if we can't get a hold of them, they go into a drip campaign that's inside of our CRM. That's a, still a follow-up. I think it's every other day for two weeks. And then eventually they'll get marked as either a dead lead or we'll move on. Um, but if someone comes in and you know you kind of develop rapport with them and our initial point of contact is, we are okay at this point with getting all the information we need, asking things like roof, mechanicals, that kind of stuff, making the offer over the phone. And then it'll be me that kind of, I only do Cincinnati and this is where I live. So then I will go to the property myself, verify the condition of the property, and then we'll ha already have it under contract. And then we'll either keep it, you know, dispo it, burr it, or we'll have to retrade if they were not truthful on the condition of the property or they just didn't know. Okay. I'm curious about, so you mentioned cold calling or direct mail. So direct mail, they are calling you. They received the, the, you know, piece of mail they were interested. And so clearly they're, they want to talk. They're contacting yeah. you. Yeah. With yeah. the cold call, that's a little different. 
right? They're like, who are Definitely. you? Yeah. Um, well, I would consider both of them. Sorry, finish your question. No, no, no. Mm-mm, go for it. Um, both of them are definitely considered like what I would consider like cold outreach, right? Where we're actually reaching out to them and then they're having to call, like either respond to us. Direct mail is a little bit, as you mentioned, um, like a, of a warm lead because they at least chose to pick up the phone and call you. Um, and so automatically that's why I like direct mail more than the other methods because there, there's some inherent motivation there no matter what. And yes, you're going to get the phone calls that tell you to go fuck yourself and that kind of stuff, which is fine. Like just actually mark them as do not contact and, and leave them alone. That's fine. But when the cold calling, um, it is definitely more of a, you know, we've had leads in the CRM since January of 2022 that were like, I'm closing on one today that it was a lead since then. And that was a cold call lead, but those are more like, yeah, there's probably some inherent motivation, but now is not the right time. And so it's in the CRM, I would say is very important in creating these tasks inside of the CRM. So these leads don't go by the wayside, because if you want to differentiate, differentiate yourself in this off market business, not only is it consistent marketing, but consistent follow-up is probably even more important. And so okay. that is every two to three to four weeks. And yes, this is going to be seller specific sometimes, but you have to develop some kind of cadence or protocol inside of your own CRM. So that way you're continuing to follow up with these people. Um, did that answer your question? It did. Okay. So we went down like the specific cadence for, if you missed the call, you're doing one phone call a day, one text per day for 10 days, then you're shifting over to the campaign for X amount of weeks until whatever. So with the, they did pick up and let's just say they're not ready to sell now. Yep. And they say, I'm interested, but hypothetically six months down the road, yeah. can you talk about what your follow-up cadence and those conversations look like from, from there. Yeah. So, I mean, nine times out of 10, if a seller tells you six months, we're going to follow up in three, right. And see, and just kind of see what has changed in those times. There's a lot can change in a short amount of time, but we'll, we'll literally just go inside. We'll make our notes inside of our CRM. Um, and like, Hey, you know, we talked to Mrs. Smith last Tuesday and this was a, a summary of our, of our call and all the calls are recorded too. So you can go back and listen to it. Um, but then we'll create a task inside of our CRM that sends a, a notification to either me or the lead manager, whoever the, that leads responsibility is that says, you know, follow up. Here are the touch points from the previous conversation. And it's really just, Hey, you know, Hey, Mrs. Smith, I know we talked, you know, back on October 1st, um, you're thinking about selling your house. Has anything changed since then? And it's a very open-ended question and letting them come out and say, you know, no, hey, you know, give me two more months or, you know, yes, I'm ready to sell now. And you can still ask those leading questions like, you know, what is preventing you from selling? Like, that's the whole point of trying to figure out the seller's problem. So what is preventing you from selling now is that you can't find somewhere else to go and you can help them do that. Um, you know, the, the significant other isn't on board and you can have a conversation with both of them at the same time. So I would say it's giving, it's a balance between giving them their space and what they desire and also making sure you're pulling out with open-ended questions, what the true problem is from them moving forward and see if you can solve that problem to execute the deal. Here's a quick commercial break from our sponsor, Ryan Pineda. If you are trying to grow your real estate investing business, then you need to join us at Wealthy Investor. You have no idea what Wealthy Investor is. It is our coaching program and community. We have helped thousands of students 
worldwide grow their business. Now, it doesn't matter if you're just getting started and you're trying to get that first deal. We can help you do that. If you're trying to scale your business and go from a few deals a year to a few deals a month or even seven figures a year, we can help you do that too. In fact, last year alone, we had over 30 students do over a million dollars in revenue. And I'd love for you to be the next one. So it's pretty simple. If you're trying to grow your business and wholesale more homes or flip more homes or buy more rental properties, then you need to go to wealthyinvestor.com and book a free call with our team. It's super simple. We'll go on a strategy call with you and figure out how we can help you grow according to your needs. So all you got to do is go to wealthyinvestor.com, book the free call with the team, and we'll see you there. Now back to the show. Okay. I just want to confirm, I might've missed it, but you know, you mentioned that if there was six months, then you would follow up in half the time. Do you, so you truly would wait like three months before calling or do you just like, cause my thing is I'm like, trust no one, but I also don't want to be annoying. So I'm just curious, like truly about what your process is. Yeah. I mean, most of the time we would, um, now Will we send a text messaging reminder that says, you know, hey, Mrs. Smith, been thinking about you, happy holidays, that, that kind of stuff? Yes. Yeah, yeah, we would do that. So we remain top of mind. Um, but we really aren't as pushy as I think um, maybe some people in the space are. Maybe that's a, a detriment to us. Maybe we should be more, you know, uh, frequency in that. But that's just how we do it currently. No, it's good. I mean, no one likes pushy. And I think that the gentle touches like, hey, been thinking about you, happy holidays, where it's not like I need an answer from you, but hey, I still exist. Like, I yeah. love those. And and I, also- I want to touch on something, Shelby. You brought up a good point. Yeah. And I usually always tell the sellers, like, you know, this real, like, this business is very competitive. You are probably going to, like, talk to other investors, like, that that I'm trying to do. But if we develop a good enough rapport, hey, will you at least give me the next shot to match any offer that comes in? Or, like, will you call me before you actually sell this place to see if I can beat it? And that's been times before, like, your exact situation where, like, they're not ready for six months, but then they call me, like, hey, Dylan, I got an offer. I want to know your thoughts on it. And then, like, if it's the best deal for them, sometimes it's like, yeah, you know, Mrs. Smith, I think you should take it. Like, I can't beat that. Or it's, you know, I actually think I can beat that. Let's have another conversation. You mentioned something else that I really like too. It's um, the importance of using a CRM <laughs> in in your conversations. Like you mentioned when you follow up, it's like, hey, Mrs. Smith, I know we talked on October 1st. Has anything changed since then? Like being able to reference notes, know exactly when you talk will mean a lot to them. Not only does it mean a lot to you and your confidence in your conversation, because you actually remember what you, not remember, but you read what yeah. you talked about, but also to them, it's like, oh, like they remembered me even more than I remember them. And now I feel like I owe them something more. There's like a lot of psychology packed into that. Well, hundred percent. And like the law of reciprocity or whatever it is, like um, the go-giver is one of my favorite books. So that's a shameless book for that book. But um, it talks about that too. And this bit, like people aren't going to sell you a piece of real estate or help, let them help you unless they trust you. Right. And so it is figuring out um, if they have health issues and you're like, Hey, you know, how was your doctor's appointment, you know, back on, back in October. Right. Just those kind of small nuances inside the conversation and actually meaning it actually caring um, is probably the reason why we're able to do, I think more deals than some of our competitors. I have a question on the lead manager and the fact that you just hired a salesperson because in my experience, of course, you don't want to be the one who's calling, following up on all, because especially with doing the amount of 
you know, mail that you guys are doing and you want as many leads as possible. But each one of those conversations, you know, dictates a follow-up and that stacks so quickly. It compounds every single day. And before you know it, you're going in your CRM and you have a thousand people to touch base with and you're like, head's going to explode. Flip side of that though, I found that hiring someone to speak on behalf of your company and your business can leave an insane amount of money on the table because they don't understand in depth. They haven't gone through the CCF training. They haven't watched all the you know YouTube videos and done all of that to build the level, level of depth that you have so you can handle all the situations. So what has your experience been on hiring a lead manager and do you resonate with anything that I just said? Yeah, no, hundred percent Shelby. And you know, I will also do a couple of flips that I'm kind of like the project manager on. So having to manage that on top of all this stuff, it, it, it does get overwhelming. And I think if you want to make this an actual business, you're going to be very self-limited if you just try to do everything yourself and you're going to shoot yourself in the foot a lot. So when I brought on um, a lead, this will be my third one. So did this kind of touch on that? It's like, you know, I've had to go. Great point. Yeah. Um, and now we're using a, a VA placing agency uh, who does a lot of the uh, training and support for you. So I'm paying, like, you can probably hire a VA from the Philippines for four to five dollars an hour off Fiverr Upwork, which I did at the beginning. But then you have to be very detailed and give them the policies and procedures and things that you want um, in order for that conversation to happen. Uh, but now that we use this placing agency, I'm paying ten dollars an hour for a VA. Um, but they go through and they kind of develop these, um, the five questions that we talked about earlier, you know, they're kind of qualifying the lead um, for me and also trying to develop report the seller. And then now they're kind of like now the warm handoff to me and then will be now the sales guy that I'm bringing on. Um, so my experience in general has touch points are better than no touch points. So even though the conversations aren't maybe to par where I want them to be, at least getting in touch with them so I can call them back later is better than me not touch contacting or t- talking to them at all. Mm-hmm. For sure. And it and it's also a numbers game. That's something that I, you know, had to battle in the beginning with like wanting to make sure the campaigns, every word was perfect and like had, you know, an authentic representation of who I am. And I wanted that to come through in lead management, like the whole thing. And at some point there is a line and you just have to take a step back, release that and realize that it is a numbers game. It's about the contacts and hitting those people just happen to be on the day that they decide, but you can never hit them if there is no outreach. So no, you're hundred percent, hundred percent right. I mean, I think what's the saying, if someone can do it 80% as well as you can like delegate it, and that percentage is probably even lower for this type of work, but it's still more important than not no contact at all. Okay. And I want to loop back real quick. In the beginning, you mentioned three to $5,000 a month. I'm trying to find it on my notes. It was 3000 to $5,000 a month in direct mail. And I think it was $4,000 in fixed cost. Did those 4000 also include the lead management pay? Yeah, it included the... $1,600 a month, essentially, for the VA um, and the and the bookkeeper with that. But the rest of it is kind of like a tech stack. Um, kind of, I actually have uh, it pulled up because I was doing it earlier um, today. If you give me just a moment, I can tell you kind of how it's broken down. That would be great. And actually, um, we always ask our guests to provide a tool or a checklist or a cheat sheet or something for our listeners. So if it's something that you like have 
in a document. Or if you have anything that jumps to mind based on our conversation so far, will you please give it to me? <laughs> so yeah, I no, I, give can, it to our listeners. I can upload this um, Excel sheet. That won't be a problem at all. So um, just as some examples, um, RE Simply, which is the software that the CRM that we use is $167 a month. PropStream, which is like where we pull most of our lists, $224 a month. A list stacking software, $129. A skip tracing service for $58. Dropbox, Google Suite. Um, so we have like all of our, you know, app business. Uh, Zapier, GoDaddy, which is, and then our, um, uh, how to say this? Like the electronic signing service is another one. So if I just do like the tech stack of like, you know, the CRM, the list pulling, that kind of stuff, it's $794 a month. And then the uh, SMS is a thousand, and then the VA is sixteen hundred. So do all that as kind of take it as you wish, um, and do the percentages. But um, the the marketing is by far the most expensive part of this, and then the people part of it as well. And what are your numbers looking like these days? So you have you know the variable up to ten thousand dollars a month in expenses, but what is your income looking like, and how many deals is that? Yep, pull it right up. Um, so year to date revenue um, is $576,666. Um, that's across around 30 deals. Um, our revenue per deal is just under 20 grand. And that is a mix of assignments, fix and flips, and wholetails. So that's year to date revenue. What is year to date expenses? So I'd have to go into it. I, we're around a 60% profit margin. Damn, that's, I mean, that's good. Yeah. 60%. Yeah, dude, yeah. congrats. <laughs> yeah, yeah it'll be a better financially for us ever. So, yeah, okay, that's awesome. Um, and you mentioned assignments, flips, wholesales. So, with the flips, you are the agent, of course. Correct. Yeah, yes. Some people are, you know, listening, they're like, ooh, how, does, how do I navigate that being an investor and also an agent? What are the conversations with the sellers look like? I want to disclose, I never want to lose my license. Can we talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. So all of the marketing has, I'm an agent on it. All of our contracts say that this is my license number. I'm licensed in the state of Ohio, um, but we are not acting in any fiduciary responsibility. And those are the initial conversations that we have with a bunch of sellers. Um, and these situations are not, I mean, in my experience, not to throw agents under the bus, but aren't situations that agents are usually experienced with. You know, you walk in on some very, you know, honestly sad situations with a lot of these sellers where speed is more important than equity. Um, and so that's where a lot of this comes comes in. When you're when you're flipping this on the, on the back end, you know, totally fine. You just have to disclose that you're also the agent owner. And that helps us as far as deal flow because I don't have to pay myself really a huge um, sell side commission on the fact. That actually helps us with when we're presenting deals. Um, my biggest answer to that, Shelby, is just like, make sure you disclose and that you're an agent and you're not really acting in a fiduciary responsibility to some of the sellers that you're working with in these environments. But also I think something that you said that was really important is that, and I forget the exact words, but like coming from a place of like genuinely trying to help people. Cause I think that a lot of people who do direct to seller market investors in general, and especially if you drop the word wholesale, Oh my God, yeah. like people are like, Oh, that's, you know, so slimy and that's not okay. And yes, absolutely. There are total shit people out there whether they're agents or whether they are investors. Um, but I was, I was hoping maybe just for expanding the 
mindsets. What are examples of some of those situations where you were able to genuinely help someone? Yeah, um, good question. Um, and honestly, what you're just touching on is something I struggled with at the beginning uh, because it was such a negative connotation uh, for me at the beginning. Um, but once you are around people who do this the right way, you can you learn that it can be beneficial for all parties. And so to provide an example, there was a um, elderly gentleman um, who was on a fixed income, Social Security. He had refinanced his property in like 2016 or 2017. Um, he could no longer afford or keep up with the property because he's very up there in age. He didn't have any local family. Um, and he called me and he's basically like, he got one of our letters and he's like, Hey, I'm interested in selling. Um, you know, I need to be at this number because this is what kind of what my payoff is. And I went out there and we actually paid him a little bit more than, than what he needed to, because it was, it would provide him with some help moving forward. We also found an apartment for him to go to. That's like a first level senior living kind of a fund of a place that he could afford. Um, and he, in that specific instance, he had almost contacted me too late where like the foreclosure was like the next week. Um, and in our County specifically, there is a 30 day redemption period. So we were still able to buy it technically post foreclosure, get him out of the house. We gave him two weeks post closing. He's got some money in his pocket, um, to kind of help with the moving costs, get him situated. And then we could come in, do our flip, get it back on the market and sell it. And we'll still make, you know, I think. I don't know, 30 to 40 grand on the property. So not a huge deal, but it was able to help the seller put him in a new, better environment. And he now he doesn't have this foreclosure on his record either. Yeah. I, super cool example for that. And I think just in general, um, to go back on helping people coming from the, coming from it in a place of trying to help and not pushing in any direction. So like, and that's the cool thing about you know, being an investor and an agent is that you have more opportunities. Like if it is in his case, like time is of the essence and you have to move quickly. And this, there's a certain type of, like, it wouldn't work if you just listed it on the MLS and did a traditional 30 to 40 day close. But, you know, hypothetically, if that had been the right situation for him, then you can pull out the different hat and it just gives you so many tools to help people. Yeah. There's, there's another one um, where we offered and we could not come to an agreement on cash price. He wasn't distressed at all. He was just like an older guy. And I was like, you know, Hey, um, I forget his name. I think his name was Tom. Um, But Hey Tom, like, you know, if you want, we won't make a deal as a, as a cash investment, but if you're interested, you know, I'll list the property for you. And that was another, just like turned into just on the listing side, another, another deal which was still very investor friendly. He was happy. So it's just another tool in your tool belt. Dude, I know we're going to get some hate for this show though. Like, even if it's like coming from a place, like a good heart, you know, what's best for like, there's still people out there who are like, this is not okay. But I mean, you guess you can't speak to everyone. <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't know the, the whole, this business because it has a low barrier to entry does attract some of the wrong people. And that was very, totally. The past like two years personally i've seen a big slowdown on that here locally in our market um but those people aren't around forever right it's just like there's bad cops there's bad doctors there's bad agents like it, it goes along with the territory totally okay dylan what did we not talk about today that you think might be good for our listeners who are primarily residential agents there's some investor agents out there but like what's is there anything that we missed that you thought might be good 
Um, for resi- residential agents, I, it's hard for me to give uh, solid advice because my business isn't around that. But I think as a general business principle, I would just look at if you're you, like kind of the principles we talked about earlier, are you using a CRM and then are you following up appropriately? Are you first of mind when these people actually want to come in and either buy or sell a property? Yeah, good advice. And what does the future hold for you, Dylan? Yeah, so I just mentioned we just had our first um, like sales hire yesterday. So he's going to come in hopefully at the beginning of 2024. And with that, we're probably going to increase our marketing spend a little bit. Um, I personally want to add more units to the rental portfolio, which is just a challenging environment right now with, you know, with rates where they're at. Um, but we're, we're hoping to do, you know, seven figures in revenue next year. Um, but you know, that's a good goal to have, but we'll see if we get there or not. Dude, I'm stoked. I'm going to follow along in the journey, but as we head into the wrap up questions, we're going to, we're going to say where listeners can find you in just a minute. But, um, question number one, what is something cool that you've learned recently? It doesn't have to be business or real estate related. Just like something where you're like, Oh wow, that's cool. I don't know, Shelby. Uh, I actually, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to cheat a little bit. Okay. And say that redemption period that I talked about earlier. I didn't know you could do that up until we did that, that specific property. Um, mm-hmm. because I talked to a local real estate attorney and asked him if there's anything that we could do to help this guy. And that's when I learned that she could do that. Never knew that. Dude, that is cool. Definitely yeah. something cool that you've learned recently. Yeah. Okay. What events are you going to in the next 12 months? If any, um, so, um, the mentorship program that I'm in now that collecting keys, um, with Mike and Dan, they host a, um, an event once a year. This past one was just in Scottsdale, Arizona, but we'll be going uh, next year. I don't think they've disclosed the location yet, but I would definitely be attending that again in 2024. Dude, it's so funny. I saw that because, you know, I follow them too. Yeah. And they had their, I think, was that their first mastermind? Like, right. Yep. Yeah. Like- so that was their first one. It was on the same weekend that we did our Pillars retreat and cool. like for Five Pillars Nation. And so I was like watching it come out and then I was like racing with the content. They, they beat us like coming out with like the recap video. And stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. On top of it. You gotta be better. You gotta be faster. Shelby. I gotta be better. Right. Speed, speed, right. Yeah. Uh, it's okay. Um, okay. How can listeners help you in your business? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm very local to the Cincinnati area. I've, I've been here for a while. So if, if anything, um, Anybody that wants to buy, sell, have a good connection. I love talking to other investors as well in the Cincinnati area. Send them my way. And um, more than happy to really talk to anybody about real estate. And where can people find you? Yeah. I mean, all social media channels, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram. It's all 11D and then Cook, which is K-O-C-H. X. Isn't it X now, Dylan? Oh, yeah. Sorry. X. <laughs> sure. Don't that X to me. I call it Twitter for too long. <laughs> Right. Well, in Facebook, is it like is Facebook Meta now? I think so. I think technically, is Facebook like, gone. Trade the stock, but I mean, who calls it? I'm gonna get on I Meta. No one does that. No. Yeah. Exactly. Totally. Okay. Cool. Well, you heard it from Dylan. Go to all the social media platforms. Show him love. And if you're driving and you missed it, they will be linked in the show notes. So go hang out with him. And if you want to hang out with me and the owner of the show. We are The Shelby Show and Aaron Amuchastegui on the gram. Hit us up. We love talking to you guys. And otherwise, guys, that is all we have for today. Actually, let me know if how you felt about this episode. I would love to know if you were horribly offended, if you were like, wow, that was great information. I've never thought about the investor agent you know, side that way. So please don't hold back. 
which now I'm like terrified for saying that. <laughs> Not really. Thick skin. Bring it. Um, all right, guys, that's all I have for today. Dylan, thank you so much for coming on the show and real estate rock stars. Thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks for having me. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.